Thank you, Shelby. Thank you for all of you that jump in and help in so many different ways. Let's just pray real quick before we get started. Lord, we just want to stop and just shake off whatever it was that we walked in here with. Um, Lord, help us pay attention to you right now, that uh, this is an opportunity that we have for heaven meets earth, and believe that you see this as one of the most important things that can happen when your people, your church, come together. And when we lean towards each other and lean towards you and stretch and honor you and consider what you would have to say to us as a corporate body, I believe that something incredible happens. And so whatever it might be that might keep us from hearing clearly or seeing accurately, we just pray that you'll let that go in our hearts and uh, that we can be good receivers this morning. We just pray for your blessing on each person here. Guide this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, since Easter, we have been looking at the implications of Easter, what Easter means in our world. Easter actually is, in the church calendar, is actually a season more than it is a day. It's a little bit like Christmas. We talk about Christmas really as a season rather than just a day. Easter is the same way. Um, Christmas is the 12 days of Christmas. Um, Easter is actually 50 days, and it'll go for seven weekends. This is the fourth weekend. It'll end on the 50th day and the day of Pentecost. So we decided, since this is still the Easter holiday, we're going to go ahead and have the Easter egg hunt that we had to cancel <laughs> Easter Sunday. So if you'll just look under your chairs. No, not really. See, somebody's looking it's, already. Sorry. I thought it was a great idea, but these guys that I work with just were something like, no, go on with the sermon or something. So we'll go on. Okay, okay thank you. Um, <laughs> get back to serious stuff now. Um, he needs me. Yes. So Jesus was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. What does that mean to us? What implications does that have for us? We're going to start where Pastor Ed left off last weekend. If you have your Bibles, open them to Acts 4. We're going to be on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles with you, let's jump in and take a look at this story. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The courage of Peter and John. Do you realize who this is? The main one speaking here is Peter. Do you remember Peter? Uh, Just a few weeks ago in the story, this is the one that was hiding out. He said, I didn't even know Jesus. He denied him over and over again. And yet, here we see him standing rather boldly in front of these leaders who could easily have just made a decision to stone him at the moment. And he is responding to their questions. Their questions about this healing that had happened to this crippled man. Pastor Ed talked about that man being the resurrection man um, last week. And he was responding to them saying that actually kind of an in-your-face kind of a response that if you're asking questions about how we cared for this person, well, this, is, this was done in the name of Jesus, whom you just crucified. Now, Peter's circumstances had not changed. As a matter of fact, they've probably gotten a little worse. The risk for him is a little worse. But Peter saw something. He saw that something changed in the world, in the cosmos, that, that the world had flipped upside down. And because of that change, something had happened in him. And we talk about this change, that everything changed at the resurrection. We have to realize that we're going to be dealing with this tension. There's a tension between this new life and new beginning and all things have become new and the fact that there are some things in the world that don't look very new, do they? Some people haven't heard this message. They don't, they're still acting in, a, in an old way. If you have studied World War II at all, You'll, you'll have read that it was, it was fought on such a global stage that even when, at the very end, even when some of the surrender papers had been signed, not everybody heard about it yet. And there were people in villages and little hamlets and islands around the world that were still fighting the war because they hadn't heard that all things had changed. So resurrection changes things. Um, it is, is a new beginning. It's a new life. Viewing the resurrection changes how we perceive the world. It doesn't mean that bad things are not going to happen. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have challenges and difficulties and things that cause confusion in our life. But we have an opportunity to see it differently. We have an opportunity to put a new lens on and see those circumstances in a resurrected way. So for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about what are some ways that the resurrection changes us. How does it change the world, and how does it change how we interact in the world? Peter was no longer worried about his role as a disciple and the danger that, that, that caused. He didn't seem to think about that any longer. He wasn't worried about his reputation. Matter of fact, we no longer heard any more discussions about who was going to be with Jesus at the end on his right hand and left hand, who was going to be, you know, what position that they would have on the cabinet, in the cabinet of this new um, this new um, government that they thought that Jesus was going to, um, to oversee in the world as they overtook, uh, over, um, took the Roman world. There were no longer any discussions of that. Peter had gotten a glimpse of this new world. He was seeing it through a new lens. He saw the temple not made of brick and stones, but founded on the name of the resurrect, resurrected Jesus. He now is seeing the world through a new lens, not about how it affects him and his own circumstances, 
but a new perspective on life. Years of hearing people interact with the challenges that they're facing. I've heard story after story after story over the years of difficulties that people have found themselves in. Something has risen to the surface that I have seen over and over again in how people deal with those circumstances. I have found over and over again that the attitude that people have in the midst of their circumstances is completely dependent on what they choose to focus on. If they focus on just the problem and the irritation and the challenge that that it causes them, they're going to have a certain kind of an attitude. But if they put on the lens of the resurrection, if they put on the lens of, of God's potential in that circumstance, it changes completely their attitude. Now, we have seen this certainly in marriage and family life. As a matter of fact, a, a principle that we see over and over again is what we call the 90-10 principle. Uh, we, you know, when we first, if you're married, um, you remember those first few moments of courtship when you fell in love with the person. You remember how powerful that was? Uh, I remember. I remember those feelings and emotions. I got a glimpse of this girl walking across the ORU campus and just had a little bounce in her step, and it, it just it caught my eye. And uh, I remember the feelings, and I remember what began to happen in me and, and the thoughts that I began to have about, I want to get to know this girl, and, and uh, you know how powerful that is. And usually when we find that person and we begin to court them, we think, I found, I've hit nirvana here. I found everything that I would ever want in a person. Well, the reality is there's no human person that could be 100% of what we'd ever want. They're not God. I do believe that that attraction that we have towards another person is that we see a certain part of God that they represent in the world, the image of God in the world that they represent. We're drawn to that, and, but no human could be 100% of that. And so after you get to know them for a while, you realize, okay, they don't quite have everything. I really like all of this, what? but there's just a few things that I wish they had differently. And that's what we call this 90-10 principle. It's that 10% that they don't quite have uh, that I wish they had. And then we start interacting with other people in the world, and we find out, oh, there's other people that have that. And if we're not careful, it can be like a poison that can enter the relationship. If I start focusing on that 10% or 20% that they don't have, and if that's what I think about, if that's what gets my attention every day, then my attitude is going to begin to get critical, dissatisfied, unhappy, um, and it'll, it'll begin to poison the relationship. My mom was a, 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 a stickler on, on you only had dessert after you had the main meal. And so we boys would come home from school, and she knew we were probably hungry. And, and she said, go to the refrigerator, get, get whatever you want in there. You can have some leftovers from the other day, or you can have you know, whatever, whatever you want. But oftentimes she would have baked some cookies. And she would say, don't touch the cookies. Uh, you have anything else in the refrigerator, don't touch the cookies. All I could think about was the cookies. Um, all of a sudden, all of that good food in the refrigerator is like, oh, that's old stuff that we've had before. And, you know, I want a cookie. That's all I could think about. It spoiled the view that I had on everything else. You know, this kind of principle can happen in all parts of our life. It can happen in how you deal with your job, the work that you've been given. If you spend most of your time driving to work thinking about the 10 or 20% that you don't like, we all have stuff in our jobs that we don't really particularly like. If that's what you focus on every morning, your attitude will be impacted 
in, in a very um, negative way. It's like a, a poison that will begin to, to begin to get released in the relationship. Um, Philippians 4 talks about that. Let's look at this idea of focus. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Suggesting we're going to have challenges, we're going to have things that create anxiety, we're going to have things that... that we're not going to naturally want to rejoice about, but it's what we focus on. If we focus on those things that are good and pure and lovely and a good report, the peace of God follows that. So that's going to be true in your relationships. going to be true in your job. It's going to be true in the car that you drive. You remember the, when the new car smell kind of starts wearing off, and then all of a sudden you've got all these payments still to make? Um, it doesn't quite seem quite so exciting. And if you just think about the payment or the ding that somebody hit on the back, you know, the back door, all of a sudden it spoils the value that you had. I guarantee your attitude will be challenged about your church. If you love this church, just wait, just wait a few minutes. Um, you'll have some stuff that will bug you. We, we announced last night to our Saturday night service that we're not going to have Saturday night service in the summer. We had some people that were like, what? What are you doing? What do you, what do you think? That's our service. All of a sudden, some of them hate us now. Um, and they're just not sure that we're even following God. And so, again, it's going to impact you. So... A simple challenge. I want you to encourage you to do something for me. Those important things in your life, your spouse, your children, your job, church, your, your home, whatever those things are, I encourage you this weekend, before the weekend is out, get a piece of paper out and begin to think about all of those good qualities that you appreciate. The fact that I am able to earn an income at my job. The fact that I'm able to use some of my gifts in that area. Uh, the fact that I have a home that is sheltered and cool in the summer and warm in the winter. And, and begin to make a list. Think about all of the qualities that you were attracted to initially in your spouse. If you're irritated with some of your children, think about all the wonderful positive qualities um, that they have. Take 30 days, and I'm just challenging you to do this. Take 30 days, and every single day, get those lists out, and simply read through those lists with a thankful heart. Lord, thank you for my spouse. Thank you for this quality, and this quality, and this quality. Thank you for my job. Thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this. And just see what happens. Just try me on this. See what happens in 30 days. When you begin to focus on the good and the pure and the lovely and the things of good report, see what begins to happen in your heart. Now, we were challenged early in our marriage with this principle. 
Uh, some of you that interact with us now, you can tell that we really like each other. Um, we are quite fond of each other. Um, this Friday will be our 37th wedding anniversary, as a matter of fact. And so we've had a good run. But I'm telling you, it was not easy uh, in the beginning. All the things that we share with couples today, we had to learn the hard way. Uh, we didn't have anything premarital counseling. It was unheard of 40 years ago. And, and so we began to run into some snags and some challenges. And really, it, it came mostly from me. My personality structure is I'm, I'm pretty structured. Um, I like to do things the right way. Um, I think that there pretty much is a right way in the world, and I like to find the right way, and I like to do things the right way. And so this was beginning to have some problems because this woman that God gave me was not doing things the right way. Uh, they're in several areas, and they just, uh, just wasn't happening. And so she, I, some things that she was doing or not doing just made absolutely no sense to me. And so, so now... Because of my personality, again, I'm not real demonstrative. I'm not real aggressive in a negative way. And so, you know, I wasn't saying real outwardly negative things to her, but she was getting the point that I was not real happy with some stuff. And so she was already feeling that everything, you know, she just isn't quite doing things right. And this kind of culminated in how we kept a closet. And we were sharing a walk-in closet the first few months of, of our marriage, and um, she was not doing it the right way. And, so, of course, my half of the closet was done the right way. And so we had certain shirts lined up and certain pants and, you know. And he doesn't, he doesn't give you a good picture. It wasn't just certain things lined up. It was like colors that were in order from palest to darkest. And all of the hangers were exactly the same width apart. And his shoes all had shoe trees okay, okay, in okay, them. Okay, okay, like, okay, okay. Totally, yeah. Enough. Yeah. I, don't th I don't think that's necessary commentary. Yeah. Okay, so my personality was kind of ordered. My dad was a colonel in the army. Kind of. Okay, I was a little bit in hyperdrive, okay? A little bit <laughs> obsessive compulsive here. So anyway, my part was done the right way. And, and her half of the closet, I mean, she, she had some things hung up. Some things were on the floor. Some things were on the couch or the, you know, the chair in the living room. Uh, some shoes. We had a variety of shoes uh, around the home in different places. <laughs> and so, again, just not right. And so I catch her at the door one day because I had gotten home early. And I went into her side of the closet, and I fixed it. <laughs> See? <laughs> See? Right? See the response? Right? You can tell where this story's going. Okay, I was, I was 22. My brain wasn't fully formed yet. <laughs> I was still, you know, a little soft. Um, and so anyway, I catch her at the door thinking, I'm going to help her. This is going to be beautiful. She's going to really appreciate this. I'm going to help her to do it the right way. Now that she has it set up the right way, she'll be able to keep it up the right way. So I catch her at the door. I say, honey, let me go show you what I've done for, for you. Um, yes, to be a blessing to me. To be a blessing to you, yes. And yeah. so I catch her at the door. I walk her into the closet. And I can tell the reaction's not exactly what I was hoping. Um, I was hoping for jubilation and, you know, thankfulness. And I wasn't getting that. I was seeing, you know, tears form in the corner of her eyes. And I don't think they were tears of joy. Um, and I saw her little fists were clenching and her body stiffened up and her face flushed. And it was like this, oh, dear. No, dear, this is not going well. Now, I'm very thankful for the Holy Spirit. Um, 
And if I could tell you what the Holy Spirit said to me at that moment. Now, it was not written on the wall. It was not audible. But it was, what are you doing? Uh, I have given you this gift. I have given you this woman to help lighten your life up, to help you um, have fun and enjoy life and not have a heart attack by 40 and, and uh, be able to stop and smell the roses. And you're trying to take a round pig and jam it in a square hole, and you are going to kill it. You're going to kill this gift. And pretty soon after that, I felt like he kind of flashed in front of my eyes all of these wonderful qualities that, that she brought to the tale. The reason I was attracted to her in the beginning her spontaneity, her fun-loving nature, um, her creativity, the, how, what a great wit she had, all of those fun-loving things. Now, I loved all of that, but I wanted her to have all of that and be an obsessive-compulsive neat nut, okay? Um, they usually don't come in the same package. And so, but the interesting thing was, as I, as I begin to focus on all of those wonderful qualities that she brought to the table in the beginning, you know what happened to the closet? All of a sudden, the closet settled back down into being a closet. Now, I had the closet up close to, like, world hunger, world peace, you know. I mean, it was, like, up in that arena of importance in life. And all of a sudden, it settled back down into this is a closet. Now, I've told this story over the years, and I've had people say, now, are you telling me that because you focused on the good qualities in her that the closet never bothered you again? And I have to say, no, that's not what I'm saying. But my attitude changed. My attitude before was, there's something wrong with you. I think you're broken. Were you raised in a barn? I mean, the, again, I, didn't never, I never said those things, but that was my attitude. My attitude all of a sudden shifted into, okay, honey, there's something that's bothering me. I, I, can we talk about it? Because I don't want anything to come between us. And we were able to sit down and have a conversation. And I was able to say, I know I'm weird. I know I'm, I'm just got a strange makeup. I, when I enter into a room or a house and it's just disheveled, I just get anxious. I, I get, it's hard for me to relax. And she was able to say, I, I get that, but I don't know that I'm ever going to do anything good enough. I feel like all the focus is on things and instead of our relationship. And we were able to have a conversation. We came out of that conversation with a decision that we were going to make. We were just about ready to buy our first house. And we agreed we will only buy houses with separate closets. Um, <laughs> and you can keep your closet however you want to keep it. I will never enter in. And, and uh, just throw it all in there and... And it actually helped us find a place of peace in our life. But I'm telling you, I could have killed this. I could have, I could have stolen life from our potential and our future um, because my focus was slipping. It got off track. It got off, off kilter on those things that, that um, were frustrating to me. And it was a poison that was moving through our relationship. And so whatever you choose to focus on, is going to make a, uh, a determination on, on your heart. I always say I'm not messy. I just live on the higher plane. <laughs> <laughs> things like finding your car keys and those kind of things, they're just on another plane than where I am. <laughs> the next thing the resurrection does is it takes the anxiety out of tomorrow, and it allows us to live in today. It's interesting that along with this section of Acts 4 in the lectionary this week, the Psalms reading is the 23rd Psalm. 
and most of us are familiar with the 23rd Psalm. If you were raised in the faith, it's probably one of the first scriptures that you memorized. Christians and and non-believers alike are all familiar with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have to worry about my future because I can trust God in what he's doing. I can relax and follow him and know that it's the job of my shepherd to take care of me and to figure out what I need and where I go from here. God will always provide for me because he's leading me and he's guiding me. God calls us to daily obedience, daily following him. We can get so anxious over things and go, what do I do now? And how about this? And how about that? And really, life is pretty simple. If I can listen to the voice of my shepherd and follow that, he's always going to lead me to the right place. He's always going to lead me to a good place. About 11 years ago, um, we had this idea of doing this grand family vacation. So we went with another family that had four kids, and we did a 4,000-mile road trip through Mexico. We drove all the way down to Puerto Vallarta or Puerto Vallarta and back with all four of our kids, ages 10 to 20. The other family had kids aged like 2 to 15. So we did this grand adventure, and we saw parts of Mexico that were amazing. We went everything from we stayed in a penthouse or a a, a high-rise condo in Monterey and saw the beauty of the city of Monterey. We stayed on the beach in a beautiful house, and then we stayed at some challenging places in between. We had one that I told the kids, pretend like it's a camp. Because if you consider this a hotel, you cannot wrap your brain around it. So just call it a camp, and we'll just leave it at that. Concrete beds with little tiny mattresses. It's like, okay, we'll just do that. Well, it was a great adventure, but one particular day was very trying. We had driven all day. We were driving in the desert parts of Mexico, heading into the mountains, driven all day long. There were very few places to stop along the way because we were out in the wilderness. We ended up stopping for lunch at a little house by the side of the road where they literally cooked chicken over what looked like a trash can. And we ate the chicken and drank Coke. I told the kids, only drink Coke, don't drink anything else. Um, And so we, we ate there, and that was challenging. And we had a few bathroom breaks that you don't even want to know about. They were very challenging. My poor little daughters were like, eh. So we finally, we go into the mountains. We drive 30 miles on cobblestone road. So we're like, and we get to the end, and there's a one-mile tunnel that has been hand-dug so only one car can go through at a time. So you hope they're communicating to the people on the other side of the tunnel so you don't hit somebody you know, head on, because otherwise you have to back up. It's completely dark. We're driving through this tunnel. We finally get out to this little town on the other side. It had been a ghost town, and they were rebuilding it and turning it into a tourist place. So we finally get there, and we all get out of our cars, and we're like, (sighs) and the guy that we're with said, hey, I found a guy that is going to let us go horseback riding for $5 a person. And we're like, wow, our whole family can go horseback riding for 30 bucks. When does that happen? Okay. Well, I am not a horse person. Let's just say that. 
That probably is a huge understatement. But, you know, it's like, I'm going to be a good sport at this. I got my kids. It's an adventure. We're going to do this thing. So we all get on horses. It's both families. We're lined up in a row. They put me at the front. We're lined up in a row, and we're going through the town, and we start going into the mountains. And we don't go, like, into the mountains. We go around the mountains, where it's this little tiny trail with a steep drop-off there. I don't know how to ride a horse. So I'm like, (laughs) all the way on the horse. And I'm sliding, and I'm like, we're going to fall off and die. My entire family is going to die on a hilltop in Mexico. I mean, there we are. So we're riding along. I'm trying to be brave and cool, and I'm going, You know, trying not to say anything, but making all these squeaks. And I hear my kids in the background, and they're like, Mom! <laughs> and, you know, I, I can't turn the horse around because the path is too narrow, even if I could possibly get the horse to do anything that I wanted it to do. So I'm riding along, terrified. And then all of a sudden, the guy behind me, who is the other couple we went with, he said, Janice, relax, lean in, and trust the horse. And I thought about the difficult things that we go through in our lives and how often we're like, how am I going to do this? What's going to happen? What's going to happen here? And I hear the whisper of God saying, relax, lean in and trust the shepherd. He's going to take you to only good places. He's going to make sure you're safe. He will guide you and he'll lead you and he'll direct you. I love it in Matthew when Jesus tells us to not worry about the things of life the things of the field and the birds, that he's going to provide for all of those. And he provides for us as his children as well. I particularly like this part in the Message Bible. I love how Eugene Peterson says this. says, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. In our text in in Acts, Peter could be bold. Peter could face danger. He didn't have to worry about what people thought about him. Because he knew that God was present with him and that God would help him deal with whatever came next. God would be there for the next step and the next step. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Peter witnessed the resurrection. So he could rest assured that whatever happened to him, he was a part of what God was doing in the world. And he knew the power of the resurrection. Peter knew God, and he trusted God. It didn't mean that he thought everything was going to be easy. Peter saw the crucifixion. 
He knew he was in danger. And eventually, Peter was crucified. So it wasn't that he thought everything was going to be okay. But he knew the resurrected Christ. And he trusted in him for each day in his future. God calls his people to daily life. In the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. I think that's so much more than bread. That's our provision. God, give me the strength that I need to deal with this situation. Give me this day my daily bread. The children of Israel, he fed daily with manna. They followed him, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. They followed him daily. He calls us to live daily, trusting him with our lives each day. We get so busy planning ahead and thinking ahead what's going to happen, or we get caught up in what was behind, and we get stuck on thinking about what was behind, that we often miss the things that God's doing right now, in today, in our presence. He calls us to live daily and to trust him with our lives. I love the story of the uh, woman with the issue of blood. Not just that Jesus had compassion to heal her, but the timing of how he healed her. If you remember the story, Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. He'd just gotten word that this man wanted him to come and pray over his daughter and heal him. And Jesus was on his way, and yet he was present right there in the moment. Because he knew, even with the crowd around him, even with the purposeful thing he was going to do, he knew that somebody touched him. He was present in that moment on the way to do something else. Are we present in our daily lives? Are we aware of the things that God may be doing around us? Are we asking God for today's obedience? Do we trust our future to him? Or are we worried about what's going to happen next? Where am I going to go from here? Are we forgetting that the God that raised Jesus from the dead, that was the God of Paul and Peter and so many others, has his resurrection power to bring into our lives? And that he's only going to guide us and lead us into the right things, into good things? Britt and I have had a lot of changes in our life, as the church has over the last few years. And one of the things I've come to the conclusion of is life is change. If something is living, it's going to be changing all the time. So I was thinking the other day, really, if you were a rock, maybe nothing would change. And then I started thinking, yeah, but even rocks can have water go over them and get, you know, eroded over time. Even rocks can get covered by dirt, and that changes. So my conclusion now is everything changes except God. You can trust that he is faithful. You can trust his unchanging heart. Whatever else is going on in your life, you can trust him and what he's doing. Lately, I've really been focusing on living life daily. In fact, I've started over the last couple months, I will stop in the middle of my day and I will quiet myself. And whether I'm in my office or my car, wherever I am, and I will say, today, everything is okay. Today, right now, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm protected from all the elements around me. Today, in this moment, no one needs me. Today, I have enough to eat. I have a home to live in. 
most of my family is well today. So today, I'm just thankful for where I am, and I'm thankful for the good that God has in my life. And I believe that God has good for us in every circumstance we're going through. Even if it's challenging, even if it looks horrific at times, there is some good that God has for us. Last week, Ed talked about the hardships that the Apostle Paul went through. He went through beatings, imprisonment, hunger, shipwreck. And yet he's the one who said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Paul was content in today, whatever today brought. He was content because he knew that God would take care of him, that God knew what the future held for him, and that he could always trust in the resurrected Christ. He could trust his life and his future to God. When we can be present in today, when we can be thankful in today, when we can say, I know that God's going to take care of me today and tomorrow, then we can ask, God, what would you have me do with this day? What are you calling me to do today? Again, I go back to Paul and his hardships, and I think about the time that he was shipwrecked um, off of Malta. And you remember he was a prisoner on this ship, and the ship ran aground on a sandbar, and it broke apart. And the captors had thought about killing all the prisoners so they wouldn't get away, but instead what they just decided to do was tell them to jump overboard. So either you swam to shore, or if you couldn't swim, hopefully you would grab onto pieces of the boat and you could float ashore. The next thing we hear about Paul in Acts is that he's gathered firewood and he's throwing it on a fire. Why? Why, after going through all that, the great apostle Paul that's established churches that has changed the world in so many ways, why is he putting brush on the fire? Because it needed to be done. The people were cold and they were wet. And so Paul did the next thing that needed to be done right in front of him. Interesting thing is, when Paul was doing this, you guys may know the story, but he, he puts the bundle in and a snake comes out and it latches onto his hand. Now, if I had been Paul at this point, <laughs> I think I would have gone, seriously? <laughs> seriously, a snake? After all this, have I not been through enough? A snake? I had a really good attitude up to this point, but now that I have a snake, I'm going to start whining. <laughs> but Paul didn't do that. He shook it off into the fire, and he continued on with the mundane task of putting wood on the fire because it's what needed to be done. So oftentimes when we are asking God, what do you want me to do? We're looking for the big. We're looking for the impressive. What is the call of God on my life? We want something huge. But most of the time, what God wants us to do is the thing that's right in front of us. The next simple thing that is right in front of us. In her book, uh, The Best Yes, Lisa Turk said, I took this one small thought of simply being present and dared to whisper it over many of my decisions. I just wanted to see if this thought of being present could hold up under the litmus test of life. And I think it does. In each of those situations, being present with a heart bent towards love and daring to look at what's been placed right in front of you is honestly the best place to start. Look at what you do know. Look at that very next step. Or as Bob Goff says, that next call, 
that next email, that next visit. God calls us to daily life, to daily obedience. It's in the everyday that he is transforming us, transforming our lives. And it's in the everyday that he's using us to bring his kingdom to this world. So let's meet him there. Let's meet him in the everyday spaces of our lives. Why don't you stand this morning? Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.